0: Welcome to Arts Monday, Sympoesis on ESAD Radio 89.7 FM. This program takes place on the Gedigal land of the Eora Nation, traditional custodians of this land, and I pay my respect to the elders, past, present, and yet to come. My name is Ira and I will be with you for the next hour and a half. Joining me in conversation today will be Michelle Saint anne Artistic Director of the Living Room Theatre, who will be performing at the coming Liveworks Festival, taking place at Carriageworks from 20th to 30th of October. The performance we will be talking about is called Enter Sally Stage Right, and it sees Michelle collaborate with musician Chloe Kim and touch typist Julie Samersky. The work deals with trauma and memory and is based on improvisation and scores rather than tightly predetermined structure. And we will find out more about all this in a few minutes. You're on Radio 89.7 FM. Good morning, Michelle. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Ira. Thanks for having me. How has your morning been so far and what are your mornings usually like? Are you a morning person or a nocturnal kind of creature? Oh, no. uh,
1: Occupational hazard. I'm a morning person, actually.
0: Yes, from years of waitressing
1: on the breakfast shift. So, you know, it's a 5am start, really, and you'd be at work by 6 and have to have your happy face on, serving coffees and, you know, toast and what have you. So, yes, I am a morning person, and this morning it's been very quiet, actually. I've done a load of washing, kissed my cats... Uh, clean the bathroom. <laughs> All in the last... Uh, what time did you wake up? Was it 5am as well? No, 7. 7, just in time for the ABC News. And then I was just... I it was such a beautiful morning.
0: So yes. I really
1: love... I do love the sunlight in the mornings.
0: Mm. And when do you feel most inspired to create? Is this in the mornings as well, to dream and envision works?
1: Yeah, mornings always. Um, and I think... It's the showering as well. You know, it's water is also very contemplative for me. So it, there's that. there's something about the morning air. So I will go uh, for a walk in the morning and just feeling that dampness, you know, it's just rained overnight and you feel that dampness, that coolness against the skin. I really love it. I, I really love that moment of just being still with the environment and how it kind of clothes you to for you to kind of dream into it for mm. the day.
0: Speaking about dreams, are you mm. a big dreamer, like, literally a dreamer? Do you dream? Do you recall your dreams? Do ideas come to you through dreams? I think I have kind of different types of
1: layers of dreaming. Obviously, there's the dreaming at night, um, which at sometimes could be turbulent and then sometimes nurturing. It's only in, the, in turbulent times that I will recall what I've dreamt the night before but I am a big dreamer in the world and I and I don't drive because I, I just love living in my imagination and so I just think that I would kill somebody because I'd constantly be in that other world and even in my day jobs I've always um, dreamt in order to kind of live in that everyday madness.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, this is why you're a creator of theatre work, of performance mm-hmm. work, um, as an outlet for all those dreams that you have. And speaking about imagination dreams, maybe it's somehow tied to a concepts of memory. We can mm-hmm. discuss this or we can consider whether it is. And the reason I'm bringing up memory is because this is the theme behind the current work that you're developing, Mm -hmm. Enter Sally's Stage Ride, which will Mm -hmm. be performed on 26th of October at Carriage Works as part of Liveworks Festival within a program stream called Tidal. And as I briefly mentioned, the work is dealing with trauma memory, the way we store and recall or fail to recall traumatic events. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to us a bit about the origin of this idea? Yeah, so I think, across the two
1: decades of my making it's all I've always dealt with first the early works about um, sleep um, and the ordinariness of everyday life which was sleep deadlines and pleasure Um, and I've always tried to kind of reckon with the female voice and the female body Mm -hmm. and then as as my work has progressed Um, It's dealt with more of trauma and violence and in my, you know, latest works, it's really about injustice. And putting all of that down and thinking about what is the next kind of collection in in my body of work, I'm really looking at uh, memory and how a memory time dream time and trauma time and how those different timescales intersect with each other to kind of explore what happens when we're in trauma and that trauma always hangs in the air. And I think, you know, Amy Ramikas talks about it. It's it's like a cloak that we wear and that forever floats behind us. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess that's what I'm really looking at where, how, what are those intersections of, of times? So that's kind of the origin. It's, it's kind of the build up of this whole kind of exploration of, of in my in my body of work.
0: Mm. And you speak about the difference. So you spoke to me when we uh, had a brief chat the other day about the difference between quotes normal memory and this traumatic memory what are Mm -hmm. the main differences that you see there
1: yeah so speaking um so this is a conversation that i had with a psychologist um and she was explaining to me about traumatic times and uh how we recall them so you know our, our everyday uh memories autobiographical memories have you know we can remember that dinner Right. We remember that, mm-hmm. that moment at a dinner table, and we remember the food, and we remember the conversations, and it's got a, a beginning and middle and end. So it's more of a, a narrative. It's in the past, yeah. um, and it's got more of a time code set around it. And traumatic mm-hmm. memories don't, so they're more episodic, they're more sensorial, mm-hmm. and they're more present. So it's like we're living in them
2: um, mm.
1: now. And so every time we have those memories, we can go back to those places. And so they're more like bursts and so destabilising, I guess, which would be my, that's kind of my experience of it, is Mm -hmm. that they destabilise you as opposed to having a fondness of that that recalling of a dinner.
0: Mm -hmm. So almost like this normal memory is a certain relief while this other memory is kind of constrain like if you think about it in physical terms and I know yeah. that body is at the center of your work it feels like something that's almost oppressive as opposed to this other memory that releases.
3: Yes
1: exactly I, yeah that's a beautiful way of describing that beautiful mm. way.
0: Mm. So how are you presenting these differences in memories on stage are you going about showing this work or expressing what you want to express through it?
1: Yeah, so it's really funny because I'm a theatrical artist, so it's all about the the you know the visuals.
2: Yeah,
1: and yet the, this body of work um, seems to be really about listening
2: mm-hmm. and
1: hearing. So I wanted to explore this idea about trauma time um, through objects that are... Sorry, I'm going to have to sip some water. (coughs) Sorry. Clearly it's getting to me. Because, see, my body's shutting down. Mm. So I'm looking at this work. Wow, see, this is trauma Mm. playing out.
0: Maybe I'll, in the background, just... um put a little bit of Chloe Kim. She mm. is one of the collaborators on this piece. A drummer, a jazz drummer. Um, and music sound has been something that you have been featuring quite prominently in your last works. So let's just have a little bit of Chloe in the background giving us a bit of... a beat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Literally a, I beat. a riff <laughs>
1: and it's, it's really funny that you're doing this because... This is what we're looking at. It'll be a free improvisation between Chloe and myself and Julie Szymerski on an on a antique typewriter.
0: This sounds like a typewriter It does, already.
1: doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and what I'm trying to explore here is this concept of... Uh, a psychological concept of re-scripting.
2: Mm. So
1: how do we recall a memory and then shift it slightly so that it's not so traumatic anymore.
2: Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we
1: can recall it as an autobiographical memory. So that's what I'm really looking at. I'll be on, on voiced, and I don't know whether that's going to be text, song, sound, or a combination of all of those things. And I'll be riffing off uh, Julie, and Julie will be riffing off me, and... Um, So she'll be setting a different type of tone through the typewriter. And then poor gorgeous Chloe Kim has to make a sound work by encompassing both of those and improvising live to make that Mm. a composition. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: that's the start of the work. Um, Ultimately, it's going to be a much larger scale. I'm looking at 40 typewriters... um, and probably um, seamstresses because I'm really interested in the sewing machine. They were sounds of my childhood, Mm. you know. And so hearing those as as predominantly female sounds of my psyche and then my voice and then Chloe kind of bringing them all together to create Mm. a live composition, um, that's what I'm kind of looking at.
0: So is this the reason uh, why you have engaged Julie Samersky, the typewriter, is because this is the sound of your childhood typewriting machine? Is this why it features in the work? Yes,
1: absolutely. And, you know, Julie is, um, you know, an older woman. So she, she you know, she would have been, you know, a young kind of secretarial type, but I'm, I'm talking about archetypes. Mm. So, you know, it's part of her knowledge as well. It's not like if I got somebody young and said, they'd go, what the hell is this? Yes. You know, so it is part of her, her physical vocab. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's been an EA for, you know, decades. And so there's something beautiful about being in a space with that body that has those histories and... Um, in it with Chloe, also with her own instrument of of drums. Yeah. It's kind of what I'm looking at.
0: And given that uh, Julie is EA, so she's not coming from this theatrical performative background, which is often a feature in your works, you love engaging people from everyday life, so-called everyday people who tend to pass unnoticed and unseen Mm. Can you speak to that interest a bit in engaging those yeah. people who might not feel as comfortable on stage? Or do they? Do they feel more comfortable than us?
1: <laughs> no, they don't. Most of them don't. I mean, some of them you can see there's a, there's a burning desire in there. I call them, I, those collaborators, I call them in-the-world experts. Mm-hmm. So I'm really looking at what is it they do in, in their everyday, which is their art form in a mm,
2: way. Mm. So I've
1: worked with a butcher and a taxidermist, a horse trainer, you know, museum curator, a whole heap of scholars. And I'm just interested in their physical texture that they bring to my performances because their bodies obviously are not trained. And so there's a really beautiful tension of that kind of domestic body with... Um, what I call the living room theatre body which is really poetic but hurt Mm -hmm. so I I mainly paint with women so the women's bodies are always hurt they have a particular way that they walk or move their heads and that's something that they they kind of are trained in Mm -hmm. and you can see that in Um, like Chloe Fournier and Imogen Cranner, Kate Gorman, Gabriel Quinn, their bodies, they know the living room theatre body. And so I really love those shifts between that domestic body and what I call the epic body, epic living room theatre body. Mm.
2: Um,
1: And also having in the world experts on your rehearsal floor takes out this kind of artsy kind of realm where people can sometimes get become really precious um and we find the joy Mm. in what we're doing Mm. and we also find the care in what we're doing because you will see the way that the actual performers actually look after the in the world experts and help them deal with pre-show nerves and you know that you know imperative toilet break that everyone has to take before they go on stage you know Ah, yeah we know that you know and and there's something beautiful there's a lightness in that uh when we're dealing with really traumatic kind of stories that
0: (laughs) i make my collaborators tell Uh, so given that you're mentioning how these people are untrained because they haven't had experience of performing on stage and in this work you're working with improvisation and in order to achieve this improvised uncertain unknown state you're avoiding rehearsal so how are you preparing julie then who maybe does have nerves around you know entering the stage eventually what is the preparation with her in, in that sense if there is no rehearsal time
1: yeah so i know this is really frightening and it's it's funny because i think um Performers find it more frightening to jump jump into that space than maybe an in, in the world person because they have mm-hmm. no history of what could go wrong. Um,
0: Memory again, yeah. trauma. Yeah. There you go, exactly. <laughs> performance
1: what am I doing? trauma. Um, so with Julie, it's all about like what she looks like as well. Right. Uh You know, she will prepare herself physically about what and she, you know, as soon as I offered her the the gig, she was like, oh, oh, you know, deep, deep, breathe deeply, Julie. And then the next conversation I had with her, I've got this outfit, (laughs) you know, and I think that that's really great because it's her own clothes, but she feels special in them. And she feels like a little, you know, heightened. She's really considered about what she's going to look like and the shape of her body in that space, you know, mm. sitting down. What's the skirt going to be like?
0: Mm, beautiful.
1: Um, and also the, with the in-the-world experts, they're doing what they do, right? So she does mm. type. So it's about allowing her to sit in her own world and not ask too much of them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Ask them to be who they are and ask them to do what they know um, instinctively.
2: Mm. And
1: that's where you get that beautiful uh, texture and that rub. You know, with the butcher, he got to just sit there and clean off a leg, of um, a lamb, a side of lamb. Mm. And the way that he moves his hands is so beautiful. The way that he just, mm. there's so much, it's kind of choreographic. Yeah. So I think that's what I really look at. It's not asking them to perform. It's just them asking them to be. Mm,
0: they're then... like ready-mades on stage, yeah. something that we take from daily life and we pay attention to by putting them on stage, but they don't actually need to do anything absolutely. in particular beside who they are.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. That's no, beautiful. Ira. you're very good at framing <laughs> what I'm trying to do. just walk around with you. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's what's always, always in my work, I really look at those domestic moments and finding that poetry and what makes them extraordinary. What is the extraordinary in that ordinary? Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of artists that, that work with that, but it's always been a curiosity.
0: Mm-hmm. Now that you made, uh, mentioned a lot of artists who work like that, I was wanting to ask you, who are your aesthetic artistic inspirations in the world i know you are a fan of european theater theater dance theater of pina bausch fellini as a filmmaker
1: robert wilson robert lepage um and you know like in australia it would you know Meme thorne was one of my really big influences and you know julie vulcan Lot, you know, her early works, just, you know, you're such a un and you're exposed to to this in your 20s. And that, re- you know, because I didn't come from an artistic family. Mm. You know, we listened to, like, terrible radio, like commercial radio, and we never watched the ABC because, um, you know, Mum was a, a migrant and she wanted to fit in. Mm. And so you you buy into popular culture. And so I didn't – I wasn't exposed to any of that or classical music. It was only in my 20s and when I went to university I was exposed to these companies and um, extraordinary women that were making work mm-hmm. in in the 80s. And just seeing – I remember just seeing Meme Thorne's um, Buried Mother amongst um, – Burying Mother amongst a, a whole lot of works during that time And just seeing an Asian woman being incredibly beautiful, gracious, she could have been anybody because what she was talking about was her mother Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and being able to connect with her through that beyond what she looked like. Mm. And to me that's always been so big for me because... For those of you who don't know me, I'm I'm Indian Portuguese background, but I didn't grow up in that environment. So I was Catholic, so I didn't even know any of the Hindu kind of celebrations. So I always felt um, that I was wrong when I kind of did ethnic specific work, you know, because I had to learn how to do all of those things mm. um so it was you know it's those influences of showing me the possibilities of what it could be to be an artist um rather than the sector or funding bodies telling us who we can be and what kind of work mm. we can make they were like huge influences on mm. me and you know I'm sad to say that you know Lapage and Wilson. um Heiner Goebbels uh, are huge influences. Like, you, know, th- you know, three very big white men, um, but they just uh, uh, let me dream in a way that I never ever thought it was possible. Mm.
0: First thing I think when you mentioned Lepage is long durational pieces. Yeah. I believe I've seen a piece of his that lasted for eleven hours. How long is this work going to be? It's actually very short, I assume, because it's within uh, a larger program of ten, maybe not 10, but six other works within this program stream called Tidal. So you're working in something like 15 minutes? Yeah, 10 to yeah. 15 minutes mm-hmm. as a
1: snippet of the work. Um, and I guess it's like the scratch of the work because it's about trying to explore what the actual I've got a kind of broad concept obviously about what I want to, I want to want to kind of explore, but I'm not putting any parameters on it on myself or the team because we don't know where it's going to end up and I want to keep it that open so the whole idea about live works for these programs is to show works in development mm-hmm. and this is really in neutral like I think we talked about this on the weekend it's like an ultrasound of the child Mm. Uh, I've just got this thing this thing bouncing around in my dreaming and I just want to say what happens when we put these three three things together and an audience in front of it Mm. how do I co-author the work with the audience Mm. how in real time there what when I'm improvising off text what am I feeling from the audience Um, I've got my back to the audience. How am I feeling them and how does that inspire my narratives? Mm -hmm. I would love to make a durational work, but unfortunately we don't have the funding models of Europe. (laughs) (laughs) And so, uh, you know, they do cost a lot of money and they take a lot of time to prepare. Mm. But, you know, maybe one day when I'm 94 and still making... I can use my estate, my big estate, <laughs> to pay for it before I knock off. I, yeah. What do I love about their works? I love the way that object and space frames their bodies that t- in order to tell. The narrative, and you can see that in Pina's in Peena's work. Oh, she's a huge influence on that body, right? Because she's mm. the Pina body. Everyone kind of knows it of her dancers, um, and the elements that she uses
2: mm.
1: from her video works of beautiful glass buildings and lawn and mountains, and then you know she brings dirt into the theatre and water into the theatre and it's just so startling isn't it? It's just startling Mm. and I just remember when she came out for the Sydney Olympic Arts Festival and I was just beside myself. It was just oh if only we could just keep seeing her work if only Cafe Muller came to Australia Mm. it's my favourite work of all
0: time Mm. yes (laughs) now that you mentioned senses and elements, Mm. that is always and has always been a huge part of your work, a part of the living room theater sculpture. And you have engaged the sense of smell, the sense of touch. And senses are so integral to memory. You know so much memory comes from the sense from something triggering mm. the memory um so in this work is there a space for you given that it's a very short piece to work with any of those elements smell is really big for me in
1: um in memory um but because, you know, it's basically your port form, you, you actually move stage left, you do the Q&A and then you exit stage left again. <laughs> uh, it's like, so it's like a conveyor belt. I, I'm really looking at uh, provoking the senses by uh, just landing words that may trigger um, memories for people, like the simple word of mother. Everyone's got a mother. hmm mm-hmm um and going into minute details about simple things. So that's almost I'm taking what I recall and pressing it into the imaginations of the audience. And in a way that's kind of where Inter Sally Stage Right comes from because it's it's a form that of rescripting. Um, so that's kind of what I'm looking at. Sorry, I'm probably not making much sense here. Um, so the, the senses that I'm trying to um, evoke from the audience is through my descriptions mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: as opposed to a sensorial world, which is what you would normally get in my work where you go into a, a vet lab and you can smell kind of the dogs that they were cutting up the day before yeah. or that. Um, you know... It, it's or i um, you know man 40 which was a, a work my graduating work from vca inspired by tim winton's book the riders and i cooked a lamb roast mm-hmm. um so that one came in and it smelled like lamb roast and it's like ah oh, home was yeah mm-hmm. uh, even the vegetarians went oh home it's hilarious but so this one I'm, it's it's more in the description and then how does that alter which is mm-hmm. this whole idea about rescripting
0: yeah I love thinking about words as having texture because that's what you're mentioning, like the word mother has a texture of its own. It rubs off us or like Mm. it touches us sensorially. And now that you're mentioning the book, uh, Tim Vinton, you just mentioned, and books Mm. are often the the starting point for your work. Mm. So at the moment you're reading a book by Mm. Elizabeth Stroud and you have it here holding in your hand (laughs) for those who can't see it. Tell me a bit about this book and what, uh, how is it guiding you through this process? Oh, yeah, it's really funny because, you know, I, I am so inspired by books and yet there's
1: very little language in my work. Mm. And I'm not a really big reader. So I, I read a book and I get obsessed with it and mm. then I will read it and read it and read it because it triggers my imagination. And I'm always um, excited by when you talk to somebody else about the book, they go, oh, I didn't get that, I didn't get that. And so how unique, even though we've gone through the same journey and we've gone through the same descriptions and um, moments of departure, we all have still this very different way of, of looking at it. So I guess when I riff off books, that's what I do. I sort of take that stain and then put it into kind of my world.
2: Mm.
1: which is what I've done with Charlotte Wood's book The Natural Way of Things as well and when she came to see that work which was The Foul of the Air she said it was exactly like her experience of writing the book So, seeing the work like I, that's what I kind of mm. created for her mm. was her actual experience of writing the book which I thought was a really beautiful mm. um, kind of thing to say Um so Elizabeth Strout is an American writer, and I just adore her. I, I love the way she talks about, writes about women, and my favourite um, character is Olive Kittredge, um, which she wrote, and then she wrote a sequel to that, um, Olive Again, and this one is Lucy by the Sea. And it's um, I've only just started it, but it is uh, forms the third part of this trilogy that she's writing um, from uh, My Name is Lucy Barton to O. William and then this is the third one, Lucy by the Sea. And shes I just love the way she writes about middle-aged women and um, our inability to articulate, our inability to be because of societal pressures and the beauty and the niceness of who we are. I just... So, and she's really economical in the way that she writes. Um, and, you know, she writes about women in Maine. And uh, what do I know about women in Maine? And yet there's something very human about that experience of of reading that. She writes about poverty um, and what it is to be poor. And, she, you know, I can't even remember what book it was, but she writes about um, poverty having an odour. Mm. a smell and that's kind of how i grew up because i i grew up um not within a wealthy family and always felt like i had a smell like people would always know that i grew up in public housing
2: mm.
1: and i i remember when i read that and i read them consecutively of, of of her books a whole range of them and which is why i can't recall them because i put down one and i read the other and um it just spoke volumes to me Went, oh god that's what it was. That's why I don't like being around people with a lot of money because I feel awkward.
0: Mm. They have strange smell for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> it
1: Chanel number five yes <laughs> uh,
0: and, and you mentioned that uh, I don't know if it's this book or one of her books uh, that she wrote at the start of pandemic in New York City this is it yeah. yes and that uh, she's uh, speaking about how mind will not focus on something that is not ready to expe- accept yet um and I think yeah. you have a section for us to read, and I'll just oh, manch- I... mention that uh, you're on ESET Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday Symposis and today we are joined by Michelle Saint-Anne. She is Artistic Director of the Living Room Theater. We are speaking about her work in general, but in specific, Enter Sally Stage Right, a performance that will be showing on 26th of October as part of Liveworks Festival at Carriageworks. And Michelle will now read to us. God. a little bit from the book that she is finding inspiring at the moment. Well,
1: yes, I'm a terrible reader, but this is, so this is a book about uh, Lucy and her ex-husband um, has come back into her life and they're looking to, he's wanting to get her out of New York City because of the pandemic. but this is right at the beginning, right? So this is when the pandemic hit Italy. So we just didn't know. Our imaginations just couldn't get us there. And there's this beautiful line that she writes um, about her not knowing, understanding why everyone's getting upset and how why William's getting upset and saying, we've got to go, hurry, pack up your bag, get out of here. And she said, it's odd how the mind does not take in anything until it can. That's the exact word. And it's funny, yeah, yeah she's talking about the the pandemic and what I, when I read that, I thought about trauma. I thought about how when children go through traumatic situations, it comes out in different ways. Like it bleeds out of the body in different ways. Because one, you know, the imagination mightn't be able to process it, the mind doesn't get to process it, the body doesn't know how to process it. And so it it bleeds out. And I just thought there was a really, I haven't really worked it out yet because I haven't, I've only read the first 20 pages of this book, but just those, the the textures of, the, the melding of her world that she's trying to create and this kind of moment that I'm trying to, Create with with Sally, um, into Sally's stage, right, Um, about when when are we ready? When are we really ready to face that? And I don't think we can and I don't think that I ever could until I had people who had that skill of being able to um, draw it out from me and be able to keep me safe um, in that same place.
0: And that is Sally, who is entering stage, right? Yes. One of those people.
1: Yeah, but yes, we'll we'll call her Sally. And yeah, and the idea was this, I I went up to the lockup in Newcastle for a residency and the train trip up was really traumatic. I was sitting up the top and there was people down the bottom and this man just started to scream at his girlfriend who was pregnant and was, like, bashing the windows. And I just went... I just made myself so small. But it sort of started from Strathfield and it was a slow trip to Newcastle, so it's two and a half hours of hearing this. And by the time I got off, I had an extraordinary headache. My body was so tight. And then I go into the lockup, which is an old jail... Um, that was in use I think it was till the mid 80s with all this graffiti and then they took me around and then there's blood on the walls and it was just sensory overload the sound of this man the sound of the fists which is a you know a huge sound that uh, is in my um, childhood and I just like my body was so tight. I didn't know what to do with it, and so I I rang my psychologist and said, I, "I'm I'm just not coping here, and I'm supposed to be up here to write at work." And she talked me through this the experience of being on that train, what would make it better, and so it was. I needed her
2: mm-hmm.
1: to come into my life. I needed her to take control for me. Because I wasn't strong enough,
2: mm.
1: and so I concocted this idea of enter person known as Sally stage right to uh, stand in front of me in a way, and that and we've been using that technique with all my traumatic memories as a childhood in my childhood, and I couldn't believe the difference it's made in me being able to when these triggers go off, I just go. Into Sally's stage right and there she is in all her outfits you know she's of course I've in my imagination I've dressed her in all sorts of fabulous outfits um, so that I could then breathe into it yes and this too will pass mm. um, and it's just an extraordinary um, technique called rescripting so if anybody out there is really looking at that um, or suffering there is some really amazing help out there. And I know it can take ages to find that help, I know from experience. Mm.
0: You're listening to ESED Radio, 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday, in Poesis, and we are talking to Michelle Santan, Artistic Director of the Living Room Theatre. We'll have a short music break to take some of those breaths and then we'll come back and speak more about Intercelli's Stage Ride, which is the production that you will be able to see on Wednesday 26th of October at Works as part of Liveworks Festival.
3: you catch the bank of the world traveler from 10 months. Do you remember how he's the bus driver? One, two, three, what would the red book on the-
4: Yes, you know I love you, darling. He replied. I love you more than task can tell. You are the light of my life, my sun, moon, and stars. You are my everything. Without you, I have no reason for being. Again, there was silence. As the two lovers sat on a park bench, their bodies touching, holding hands in the moonlight. Once more she spoke. How much do you love me, John? She asked. He answered, How much do I love you? Count the stars in the sky. Measure the waters of the oceans with a teaspoon. Up with the grains of sand on the seashore.
0: Impossible, you say? That was Philip Glass playing here on Easter Radio 89.7 FM, a selection of my today's guest, Michelle Santan, artistic director of the Living Room Theatre. And Michelle has been in the last few years working very closely with sound and musicians and the way they are bodies on stage by being on the stage could you speak to us a bit about this interest of yours to turn to sound and body away from language it's been your interest from the beginning mm. but sound has been entering in it more and more yeah I, i'm
1: So I I was obsessed with Steve Reich for um, quite a while, since 2003-ish, and I was just interested in his compositional style and, uh, like, the phasing technique and what that would mean for image. Mm. So I did a whole series of work that looked at transposing phasing uh, technique into uh, the phasing of image. And then... um, I went to see... So that was kind of always there. It was always something that I used to actually um, create from. And then I went to see this double bass. It's called the Bass Liberation Orchestra at Delmar Gallery, uh, led by the amazing Dave Ellis. And Mary Rapp was actually in that ensemble, uh, which is why I went and took my mum there in her little walker. And... It was just so amazing because they all played in all different parts of the gallery and I could wheel my mum around so she could have different experiences of of hearing the double bass played in all these different kind of styles and then they came together and they created this extraordinary sonic dessert and I thought, wow, this is really theatrical. This is a missed opportunity. So I approached Dave um, Ellis and we then founded the Long, long Neck Ensemble, which is Dave Ellis, uh, Marie-Louise Battoon, Will Hanson, uh, Max Aldecker and Jacques Emery. I feel like I've forgotten somebody. And then we had a few people like, drop, drop in like Josh Spolk and um, Harry Birch who would drop in and out of this ensemble. And I just enjoyed making a work with musicians that talked about, and this is the the Charlotte Wood work, um, the Fowl of the Air, um, how their sound could bring us comfort and yet disturb us, mm-hmm. their movement of their bodies and the the way I could orchestrate their movement on stage could be threatening and yet passive Mm. and the way they played their instrument which I sort of looked at the double bass being the female body the way that they played that also had those tensions and the reason Kind of, I, I looked really looked at the double bass, is That the cello has always been in my work, so you can you can trace the cello through all my works, and it's closest to the fema to the human voice. And in Charlotte's book, she talks about the thickening of the women's bodies um, as I, I pulled out of out of life and in, and into this camp. And so I thought, what is the thickening of the cello sound? And that's art. That's double bass, Mm. and so that was that that transition. And it's only because of the generosity of those extraordinary musicians. And there were tensions. You know, I was asking them, asking a lot of them. Mm. You know, I was talking before about not asking too much, but you know, artists, I do try to push and say, let's just jump off and let's see what happens. Mm. There was a lot of resistance, and then there was they realise, ah, uh, okay, we can enter in this conversation about violence and women through a platform that is less threatening mm. but can have ramifications, you know, these really beautiful like little waves that go out into the community. So that's where that sort of started from and it was then working with Jacques Emery who's just so kind, so inquisitive, so explorative Um working with him post that project and he's entered our living room theory as our aesthetics in resonance so he's creating a work called Jacques upstairs um and his partner is chloe kim and so i went to see her play and was uh, oh wow okay the drums hit that body in this particular way Mm -hmm. and so you know it just it's just this momentum of of my collaborators being um yeah being musicians
0: Mm. you have mentioned chloe kim who is collaborating with you on enter sally stage right and you have mentioned how often you ask of your musicians the performers uh, maybe things that make them a little bit uncomfortable so Mm. what is chloe being asked to do (laughs)
1: uh she'll be fine there's something about chloe she's incredibly courageous and adventurous and there's incredible joy like every time i look at her she's like this burst of sunshine and so i think her challenge to her is to not have that sunshine and maybe i get to have that sunshine And she has to take some of my load. (laughs) I I don't know. It'll be interesting. We've got a conversation tomorrow. We'll see how she goes with that. But, you know, there's something fearless about Chloe that's quite infectious and quite profound. I sort of look at her when she performs and she will just – she knows exactly how to hold her body before. So she's kind of, you know, theatrical, really performative. And I went to see her at the powerhouse and it was just – I think maybe a 10 or 15-minute solo work, improvised, and she just sat there and the the crowd was coming in. There was a big steam engine behind her that was her backdrop and she just knew to just sit quietly and she sat there for like five minutes with her head down, hands absolutely still, and then she just picked the sticks up and then off she goes. Mm. And the looseness in her body and the way she just there's almost no separation between her kit and her um and I, was, I don't know there's such there's something about that so joyous about that that I sort of pitch this idea about I feel like I need to put you in a show Chloe with 40 typists and seamstress and you have to make the work and because oh my god I love that idea and so you know for the live work so obviously I can't do that so I'll just try and pull out just this one little section and see what actually happens? What are the sounds that we could actually really think about? And how can that help me lead those 40 in the world
2: typists Eventually. and
1: seems to like care for them and give them a little bit more direction? Or what is it that they're typing? What is it that they're sewing?
0: Mm. Uh, I'm imagining this work with 40 typists, and you said that they will be in a row. What would be your envisioned venue for something like that? And the reason I'm asking that is because you have been known as somebody who works in uh, unconventional spaces that are not black boxes, they're not theatre spaces, they're often um, wounded spaces that you are attempting to heal through performances as well. Mm. And of late, you have been working in a black box more and more. So tell me, where are you at when it comes to space at the moment uh-huh. and where do you envision this uh, eventual 40-piece type type radius piece? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, and
1: that's and it's really hard, right, because uh, there's just so many restrictions on what you can use and what you can't use. I guess it, it's really something like Cockatoo Island, you mm-hmm. know, those, mm-hmm. those big empty spaces that have not been tidied up Mm-hmm. yeah um and you know I did use a space in Summer Hill, which has really left a legacy with me. um It used to be an old uh, garment factory mm. Mm-hmm. And when I first got in there, the amount of pins—like there were thousands of pins that we picked up from the cracks in the floor—but there's something about these the rows that women have always worked in, whether that's mm. it's typists or seamstresses or uh, you know those conveyor belt kind of environments um, that I really felt would speak to space and how the audience could then move through. Uh, that space to kind of get different sort of sonic textures, mm. which is in that kind of work that Philip Glass that you played is those sonic textures and the placement of sound um, and the way that different hands create different sonic textures. So that's kind of what I'd, I'd be looking at something like Cockatoo Island or, you know, if I could go back to the what I call the landlord in Summerhill because it is a work that sort of that space kind of helped me dream into it but when you ask me about where I'm at about site-specific work it's really strange because I just went to a um a lecture by Daniel Peltz um who you a professor of time and space is that the most brilliant job title ever and you can't – like, Australians would go, oh, God. But, you know, he's American from New York, Rhode Island School of Design, I think, and he's now in uh, Sweden. And so, of course, you know that that, that sensibility is like, yeah, of course you're going to be a professor of time and space. And he – oh, he just sort of really destabilised me in the way that I'm thinking about myself as a site responsive artist um, and – how we here don't feel comfortable responding to space, or if we do, we have all of this um, kind of. I know, this sounds controversial, but it doesn't mean to be uh, about our guilt about being on country, mm-hmm. um, and what are those those echoes that come through, and what we can and can't talk about. Mm-hmm. And I just really love the way that Daniel talked about a work, um, and I'm going to do it in justice, but I would strongly recommend you you look it up, um, the, the lecture that he gave at Sydney College of the Arts. And he talked about this, this moment in history where they cut the ice, they dropped somebody in there, and then they pulled out this cart mm. that was used... Uh, during some historical event. I can't remember. I'm sorry because my my imagination went off with that. And then how he rewrote that history or added another layer to the by performing that same act. Mm. Now, I'm not going to tell you the rest of it because I think you've really got to listen to the talk. But what I really love, that idea is retracing Mm. an historical event and recontextualizing it with what's happening now because we forget that artists in the cultural sector are documenters of histories right and and so wouldn't it be really beautiful is if there was a, a whole group of artists making work that looked at a historical event in its physicality and rewriting that into mm-hmm. by using that physical act the physical act of cutting
2: The ice, Mm. Mm.
1: going into it, new body, new dreaming, new history, new families doing this thing. I just, I don't know, there's something about it. I haven't quite worked it out, but there's something really beautiful about that possibility. And so when I'm thinking about how I respond to sight, you know, maybe it is about looking at the historical archives and, and looking at physicalities.
0: Now that you mentioned physicalities, <laughs> I straight away thought about dance and movement that's mm. featured in your work. Um, another thing that living room theatre is known by is working largely with the body, telling the story through the body with little words, uh, non linear structure. And for years you have been collaborating with beautiful choreographer-dancer Imogen Krena. Mm -hmm. I hope I have pronounced it correctly. And she's currently developing with you another piece called The Reckoning, which we'll be able to see, I think, 16th and 17th of December in Darlinghurst, Brand X. I don't know what the question there would be except for getting a sense of what kind of movement are you looking at? What kind of movement are you inspired by? by? Because it's not necessarily conventional dance as well, what Mm. we are seeing.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I'm not a choreographer and I'm not a dancer, and yet I choreograph and I Mm. work with dancers. Um, It's all centered on rage. So it's the rage is my physical language there. Mm. And it's inspired by... um, the essay by political journalist Amy Ramikas, who I mentioned earlier, she wrote an essay called On Reckoning and it came out after I started working, making a work called The Reckoning and I was like, oh, wow, she's, we're the same person, this gorgeous blonde from Canberra, but anyway, we can but dream. And when I read the essay, I thought, "Oh my God, she has nailed it. Mm-hmm. She nails the personal she, she names she, she nails the societal issues, patriarchy, um, but also women and she 's got this beautiful term crumb maidens, and the women that make it make these kind of moments of violence you know are complicit in that." There's a really beautiful description of it, but which is what I'm going to explore in this work. Um, so the physicality is there's a lot of jumping. Poor Imogen Cranner. It's all based on jumping 43 times, and that is uh, basically um, an echo of the amount of times Scott Morrison was disrespectful um, in a in a paper i think it was sorry my memory's not so fabulous but anyway and that comes from amy's essay so she jumps 43 times and then it it comes up to another person jumping and then this rage of how the pent-up anger spills and splits us as both individuals but as a community as well We, Mm -hmm. we get become split through our rage so there's a lot of that going on. Um, and then that kind of physical, you um, know, well, visual violence, right, mm, of people mm. jumping up, is then um, subverted by the quiet language of Auslan
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the physicality of Auslan. Um, so I'm working with Sujo Wright, who is a, a deaf artist. Her main um, kind of field is film and textiles and I approached her, um, had a conversation with her and sort of fell in love with her physicality and fell in love with the way that she thinks about Auslan being her first language and asked her to be in that work. And so there's something really beautiful about what the hands, arms, chest and face tell and in kind of it's it's the frame is much smaller, you know, as opposed to the frame of a theatre space of physical of bodies in relation to each other. Um, I'm trying to really I'm looking at those kind of tensions on how we lodge complaints in organisation, who listens to them, who gets silenced, and what does silencing actually mean?
2: Mm.
1: Did I answer your question at all?
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. You spoke about Oslan and the language and the movement of Oslan and the jumping in dance. (laughs) Yes, so there you answered a question and added more, (laughs) as as I was as I was hoping, and I always hope that my question is only a trigger to whatever comes out, (laughs) which is you know, speaking about triggers is the way you will be working with cell, uh, enter stage, right? Oh. It's all about the these little provocations and scores that will unfold into a performance that is unknown to mm. you yourself, because it's going to be improvised. And this is the performance that we are speaking largely about today, mentioning a few other things here and there. So Enter Sally Stage Right Yes. by Living Room Theatre. My guest today on the show, Michelle Santan, you're able to see that on Wednesday 26th of October at Carriageworks as part of the Liveworks Festival organized by Performance Space. And if you go onto their page, just search for a program stream called Tidal, which is the stream within which Enter Sally Stage Right will be showing. Michelle... The time is ticking slowly oh. and I do want to play a few other tracks before we finish the show today. One of them will be by Australian band or ensemble called Microfish. Mm. And the reason why I'm playing them is because they are also your collaborators on The Reckoning.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we'll have to have you again in the show to speak more about that. <laughs> but, you know, they, they can speak uh, through sound. And then after that, I'll, sp- I'll play a track by Alistair Spence, who oh, is yeah. another musician that's been of inspiration. You have collaborated with him in the past. And this track will be him with Satoko Fuji Orchestra, Nice Radio 89.7 FM. I'm going to leave you for this week. Coming up next is Pino Scuro with Syncopatico. Thank you, Michelle, for joining us on air.
1: Thank you so much, Ira. It's been fun. And um, everybody out there, enjoy these two amazing pieces of music.